It's cool to see God working here in the lives of our people. This campaign is really about connecting us deeper and more together with each other and with God. And uh, we had a, a campaign prayer team that came up with a campaign prayer. And today as we worship, I want us to pray this together. It's not just some words that we recite, but it's, it's what we, we give our hearts to God. We, we say these words to God. Let's stand together. We're going to do this in unison, okay? I'll lead us, and uh, you follow along. Holy Father in heaven, we give you praise and glory for who you are and all you have done for us and Northside Christian Church. We thank you for the spiritual blessings you have given us and the people you have brought into our lives to help us become the disciples you have designed us to be. Unite us in spirit and truth as we prepare our lives and our facilities to accommodate the needs of this community. Through this project, establish a place to equip the followers of Jesus to show the world how much you love them. Help us, God, to humbly submit our lives for the glory of your great name. Amen. All right, thank you. You can be seated. You know, you can pray without closing your eyes. Took me a while to understand that. And uh, I, I love the prayer of that uh, that the team uh, wrote for us. I, I think it really is and says a lot about uh, what we want to be. Our mission here at Northside is to lead people to Jesus and equip them to follow him. And as we look at our church, as the consultants looked at our church, uh, they said this is, a, this is a healthy church. This is a good church. Uh, but, you know, that's not enough for me. Several years ago, I heard a man named Jim Collins talk about the difference between good companies and great companies. And he said, the good is the enemy of the great. Now, you might think, if you've been reading in business uh, journals and, and books, you might think he came up with that. But there was a philosopher, Voltaire, back in 1770, and that said, a wise Italian says that the best is the enemy of the good. What's, that, what's all that mean? What it means is this. When we have good things in our life, we can become complacent. When we have good things in our life, we can become satisfied. When we have good things in our life, we stop striving to be great. Or even more, we stop striving to be ideal. Now, I don't know about you, but... I don't want to just be a part of a good church. I want to have a, a great church or strive to be the ideal church. There are three ideals, I think, that the passage we've come to in Ephesians talks about that we're going to talk about today. And I encourage you to think about not just the good in these different areas, attitude, marriage, and church. I don't ask you to think just about even great attitude marriage, and church. But think about the ideal. Think about the ideal. First, Paul talks about the ideal attitude. <clears throat> now, uh, Ephesians 5.21 is a verse I encourage you to memorize. Uh, this is a verse that applies, I think, to every area of life. And I think it gives us the ideal attitude we should approach every day with. Attitude really is everything. It's one thing you definitely can control, you can control your attitude. You can't control what happens to you. 
You can't control what other people bring into bear into your life, but you can control the way you respond to it. You can control the way you approach every day as you wake up. And the way that Paul tells us, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, uh, Paul says we need to approach every day with this attitude, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Submit is not a negative quality. Submission is not about inferiority and superiority. The Bible tells us that the Trinity, the three gods, the personalities of God, God the Father, Jesus the Son, and the Holy Spirit, they are all equally God. But it says that Jesus is subordinate to the Father, and the Spirit is subordinate to Jesus. It does not mean they are equally uh, or unequal in value. It does not mean uh, that they somehow have a pecking order, a hierarchy. It means that they are they're committed to being together. They're committed to being one together. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. What he's saying is, as you approach your daily life, as you approach the people in your life, that you're to approach them with this attitude of, of service. You're to approach them with this attitude of sacrifice, like Jesus did. That's how Jesus came. The Bible says Jesus came not to be served, but to be the servant of all. Philippians 2, 5-11 puts this beautifully. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. That is, have this same attitude. Who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, Christ, our God, exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That is, God lifts up that sacrificial, that servant heart. Now listen, it shows me how far I have to go. I really try to every day to have an ideal attitude, but I have a long ways to go. If I was Jesus and somebody smarted off to me, it'd be like zap, you know? Like I might give you a medical condition that you got to deal with, right? Or I might let, just like, you know, uh, bring, bring a, a bunch of uh, rats or something and then put them in your bed or something, you know? I'd, I mean, I'd, I'd be zapping people if I was Jesus, but he, no, he humbled himself. He restricted, he was in all ways God, this says, but, but he took this servant sacrificial attitude. And this verse says, verse 21, we submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Now you'll see as I talk about in the next few weeks, Ephesians 6, 1 through 4, which talks about children and parents. Ephesians 5, 6, 5 through 9, which talks about masters and employees, the, the workplace. You'll see that this verse is governing, it's a it's the theme way, it's the attitude to take in all of those different areas of relationship. If we want to have healthy, if we want to have great relationships, we need to adopt this ideal attitude. We need to strive for this attitude. 
to see each day as an opportunity to invest ourselves, to serve those around us, to submit to those around us. And God is praised. God is worshipped. That's what we see. Secondly here, this passage talks about the ideal marriage. Probably the best passage in Scripture to talk about marriage. <clears throat> now you might say, well, we've got a good marriage. No, let's, let's look, let's strive for the best. Let's strive for ideal. Marriage is difficult because God definitely made men and women different, didn't he? he there's no question about that. I love this uh, illustration I got of, of the difference between men and women as defined by computer scientists. Uh, computer scientists, they came together, some of them male and female, to talk about uh, how you should refer to computers. Are they male or female? Is that computer a him or a her? <clears throat> and from the computer scientists who are male, they believe that computers definitely are female, and these are the reasons they gave. Computers are female because no one but their creator understands their internal logic. The native language they use to communicate with other computers is incomprehensible to everyone else. The message bad command or file name is about as informative as, if you don't know why I'm mad at you, then I'm certainly not going to tell you. And as soon as you make a commitment to one, you find yourself spending half your paycheck on accessories for it. Now I hear mostly women laughing, guys, it's okay to laugh. You don't have, it's okay, your wife's not going to throw you out if you laugh at the joke. Because now your turn's coming. They also ask computer scientists who are female. And to a person, they said computers are definitely male. Because, <clears throat> this is, yeah. Hmm. Is Beth in this service? <laughs> they have a lot of data, but are still clueless. Computers are definitely male because they're supposed to help you solve problems, but half the time they are the problem. As soon as you commit to one, you realize that if you'd waited a little longer, you could have obtained a better model. I don't think that's that funny, guys. And in order to get their attention, you have to turn them on. It is a challenge being married, if you're a female, to a male and vice versa. It's a challenge. And I've heard it said that if you want to have a strong marriage, you need to be committed to one another no matter what. That's what I've always thought. But you know, I started looking at the scripture this week and you know what it, it says? There's not a reference to commitment in scripture. The NIV, the Revised Standard Version, none of them. Then I started looking up references of the, the word commit. And most of the references where the word commit, the verb is used, are about commit sin or commit adultery. And I don't think you need to do those things if you're married. <laughs> but a couple of verses stood out to me and, and really were insightful to me, put into place with this teaching in Ephesians. Proverbs 16.3 says, commit to the Lord whatever you do and your plans will succeed Psalm 37, 5 says, commit your way to the Lord, trust in him and he will do this. He will make your righteousness shine like the dawn, the justice of your cause like the noonday sun. You know what all that taken together says to me? That the health and the 
betterment of our marriage is not really about our partner at all. It's about the degree to which we're committed to the Jesus, uh, Lord is Jesus of our life. Jesus is Lord of our life. It's, it's the degree to which we are walking with and giving priority to him. One of the best definitions of discipleship, the one I usually use is, a disciple of Jesus puts him first in every area of our life. And listen, as you come into marriage, that needs to be a mantra for you. That's what he said, submit yourselves out of reverence for Christ. If you're going to be a follower, a disciple of Jesus, then you need to let Jesus lead you as a husband or as a wife. You need to seek to please him in the way you interact with this helpmate, this partner that God has given you. There's some specific references in this passage about the ideal marriage that I want to stress to you. And I do think men and women are made differently. I think both from Scripture and from several surveys I've seen from social scientists, they tell us that men most desire, they most need in a marriage the respect of their wives. And that women need something a little different. They most need to be nurtured and cherished. They most need to feel that emotional uh, validation of this other one, this man who sees them as special as the queen of his heart. So the scripture here says, wives, submit to your husband. Wife, submit to your husband. As I said, our culture, our culture makes submit a bad word. But as you've understood here, as you see the context, you see that it's out of our relationship to Jesus, women, that we, want, we submit to our husband, that we respect our husband. Verse 22, wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. See, they're connected. Verse 24, now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. That is, let him be the leader. Let him feel important and respected in your walk together. Respect your husband is in uh, the second part of verse 33. And the wife must respect her husband. There's a great book about this if you want more detail uh, by Dr. Emerson Egerich. It's called Love and Respect. I, I've given those books away. I've, I've given lots of folks that I see in counseling that reference. And to a person, they say that book's helpful. <clears throat> Wives, the respect of your husband can do wonders if you can learn to, to respect him, to, to consider and show him that his opinion is valid, that you appreciate his providing for the family, that you appreciate his leadership. It's very important. Secondly, he turns attention here also to husbands. In other words, it's not one-sided. To husbands, he says, love your wife if you want to have the ideal marriage. Love your wife. Sacrificially agape love your wife. Verse 25, husbands love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. How did he give himself up for her? He died on a cross. What a challenge that is, husbands, to die for your wife, to sacrifice yourself and serve your wife in love. <clears throat> Verse 28, in the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves him, his wife loves himself. And you put her first in that. 
You show her how special she is. Husbands, nurture your wife. Nurture your wife. After all, no one, this is verse 29, after all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body, just as Christ does the church. You see that analogy is running throughout this scripture. Husbands, wives, Christ, and the church. Very important to see that if we want to have an ideal marriage, we need to, to see that example of Jesus' husbands as he interacted with the church. See that example, wives, of how the church, uh, how, how the church interacts with the, the bridegroom, Jesus. We nurture our wives. We also cherish our wives. Verse 29, husbands, cherish your wife. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body just as Christ does the church. <clears throat> a pastor shares this story of a couple that was celebrating their golden wedding anniversary. And, you know, that's 50 years. And he went to the husband and asked him, can you tell me the secret of being married 50 years? Y'all seem to, to be great together. Y'all seem to have the ideal marriage. And the husband, his name was Jim. He said, Pastor, uh, I grew up as an orphan. I had no family background. I had no model of what a family should be and what a marriage should be. I worked hard and built myself up. I pulled myself up by the bootstraps. And, and Sarah came into my life, and she just wouldn't let me go. Uh, she continued to come after and make a relationship with me. And, and before you knew it, I found myself married to her. And I was so happy on our wedding day. I thought, at the same time, how wonderful this is and also how scary this is because I don't know what a great marriage should look like. And he said the, the ceremony was great. The reception was great. All our friends and family there. But the best thing that happened to me that day was my father-in-law taking me aside and my father-in-law said to me, Jim, you have my daughter as your wife. Let me tell you how to make this work. And he gave him a present. And he unwrapped this present with trembling hands, not knowing what this father-in-law might be doing to him. And he opened the box, and it was a watch. Now, 50 years ago, people actually had watches. Those of you who are young, you probably don't remember those, you don't know those things, but people used to tell the time by looking at their watch, not their phone. So he got this, it was a nice gold watch, very expensive, and, and the man, th Jim thought, oh, this is great, but then he noticed something etched across the face of it. Every time he looked at the time, he would see those words, say something nice to Sarah. That's cherishing. That's nurturing. So on your phone, husbands, like me, you can write, say something nice to Beth. Bring something nice to Beth. Do something nice for Beth. Or Beth, her primary love language is quality time. It's spend time with Beth. That's how you have an ideal marriage, husbands, is you show your wife She's the queen of your heart. Thirdly, this passage talks about the ideal church. <clears throat> See what Christ has done for the church. As 
the model for the husband. See how he sacrificed. See how he loves. Verse, we'll go through these verses quick because we've looked at several of them. Verses 23, uh, verse 23 rather. <clears throat> for the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the Savior. He sacrificed himself for it. Verses 25 to 27, husbands love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present himself or her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. He, his sacrifice uh, cleans her. It, it makes her feel uh, beautiful and pure and blameless. Verses 29 to 32, after all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body, just as Christ does the church, for we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother to be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. It is a profound mystery. Both the walking and the interaction between a man and woman to, to subsume themselves, to sacrifice themselves for the two to become one walking together. It's a mystery. But it's also a mystery that people could choose to use and give their independence to God. People can choose to invest themselves in the church. And the church, after all, is a collection of each of us as individuals. We can choose to give ourselves to this cause greater than ourselves, to be a part of the living, breathing body of Christ. As we do that, it is a mystery how we become connected, how he blesses us with confidence, how he blesses us with uh, satisfaction, as he blesses us with being fulfilled and being a blessing to others. It's a mystery. But that's the kind of mystery he wants to see happen. You see, God wants to take us not just to be a good church. He wants us to be a great church. And the degree to which we walk with him individually will make us great as a collective. It will make us great as the bride of Christ. See what Christ has done for the church. And then our part is to respond with devotion to Christ. To respond with devotion to Christ. Again, verse 21, <clears throat> submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. You want to worship Christ? Submit to others. Verse 24, <clears throat> now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Verses 30 through 32, <clears throat> for this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. How much is enough to give how much is enough to give? That's the question. How much is enough to give to Christ when he's given us everything? You know, uh, this elderly couple was at McDonald's. And they purchased one meal. The husband went up, purchased one meal, and got an extra cup. <clears throat> and he went over the condiment stand and got a little plastic knife. And he went over to where his wife was sitting, and he carefully unwrapped the hamburger. He cut it in half with the knife and gave her half. He opened the package of fries, and he began to count them one, 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 and equally divided them. He took the drink, his soda, and poured half of it in hers. 
And she sat there with her hands in her lap and watched him eat his half. Well, a young man was watching this, and he was moved by their devotion and by their sharing. <clears throat> and he went over and he said to the, the man, he said, Sir, could I buy y'all another meal so you don't have to split up yours? <clears throat> and the man said to him, Oh, no, we've been married 50 years, and everything has always been and will always be shared 50-50. The young man, man then asked the wife if she was going to eat, and she replied, Not yet. It's his turn with the teeth. You think about it a minute, that's gross, really, right? I don't even know if it's possible for that to happen. But I'm telling you, we so often approach the most important things in life and say, I'm going to give as I get. It needs to be 50-50. And you think about that, it'll never work. Because you'll always be striving for the 51%. you want to have the ideal attitude, you give 100%. If you want to have the ideal marriage, you give 100%. If we want to have the ideal church, we give 100%. It's not about what is in it for us. It's about what we can bring. It's about being all in. Others, we think about these things. I thank you that Jesus was all in. That he loved us so much that he gave his life. That each of us might be forgiven, each one of us might be a part of the church. I thank you for the marriages in this room. I pray today has not been a time of condemnation, but it has been a challenge. Lord, you know me. You know I can be better as a husband. But you are faithful. If I will follow, you will lead me to be a great husband. You know my attitude's not always the best. But you are faithful. You will lead me if I will let you to have a great ideal attitude. Father, you know we as a church we're not great, or we're not perfect, we, we don't do it all right, but you are faithful to lead us. Today, let us think about how to love. Let us think about how to submit. Let us think about how we can be all in. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. In this ministry time, if you have a decision to make, we'd love to help you with that. Let's stand together and sing.